Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. It's again a rather long uh, portion of scripture that we'll be reading. But if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And let's see if we can keep our minds focused as we, as we hear from God's word. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, that he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what you can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then, take, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places, You shall not eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. 
you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Uh, We are people that all need reminders. Uh, We might write sticky notes and kind of post-it notes and put them all over the fridge. Or you might have been like me when I was in high school. I always took a pen and wrote things on my hand. Uh, Right now, we probably just put everything into our phones as reminders. It's important to remember things, not just because appointments might be missed or tasks might be left undone. Not just because of those things. Because when the attack on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon happened on 9-11, the slogan was what? Never forget. Why? Because we want to remember those who gave their lives in that moment. The September 11th memorial in New York lists all the people who died in that attack. And we build things like memorials because we do not want to forget our history. We do, not forget, we do not want to forget those who have given their lives. We don't want to forget to maintain that legacy. And in our passage this morning, God is determined that his people will never forget. He's determined that they will remember this moment in their history. He wants the circumstances of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt engraved on people's minds and hearts for generations to come. So he wisely institutes the Passover, a memorial that not only is an imprint of historical facts, but also a retelling or reliving of the emotional impact of that moment, the Exodus. Now, it's been a couple weeks since we've returned to our exposition through Exodus, but you'll recall that so far in the story, God has called Pharaoh over and over again to release the Hebrews from their grinding and oppressive slavery. Nine plagues have come and gone. And as each plague fell upon Egypt, it attacks their cherished gods. And it also was a call for Pharaoh to change his mind, change his heart. And yet his heart continues to be hardened. He will not let Israel go. So Moses warns Pharaoh in the previous chapter, chapter 11, of one final plague, one final stroke. What is it? God himself will go through the land of Egypt. And he will strike down every firstborn, whether they're an adult or a child. On one night, in one place, eternal divine judgment was coming down. God says in verse 12 of our, chap- of our passage this morning, 
I will pass through the land of Egypt. I will strike down. I will execute judgment. God says, I will unleash the destroyer in verse 23. And it will go through the greatest military and political power of that time. It will go through Egypt like a hot knife through butter. And this event is so important that the narrative of Exodus actually slows down. Moses takes two chapters, not so much to talk about the the plague itself, the tenth plague itself, but to give instructions on memorializing this event forever. Because they were never to forget. And as we look at our passage this morning, we, just as Israel was instructed to remember, so even now we are instructed to remember. And what are we to remember? What is it that we are to remind ourselves of over and over and over again? That we are saved to be sanctified. That is really the main idea of the passage this morning. We are saved to be sanctified or to be holy. Let's take each of those phrases one at a time this morning. First, remember your salvation. Remember your salvation. Uh, This 10th plague marks a new beginning for Israel. They've been enslaved for 400 years, but God is about to deliver them from that. God is about to change all of that, and he's going to start something new with them. So you notice in chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. In other words, this historical event will change the way they number their days. This historical event would determine their calendar. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's your birthday, and it's the new year. That's how we're going to do it. Whatever might have been their previous thinking about time and calendars, God decrees that from now on, their calendar is designed to remind them of how they first became a people. It was to be memorialized in this special annual feast. This Passover, in other words, was to mark the end of life as they knew it in Egypt, And their new life as the people of God, new nation of Israel. And they were to remember it forever. Look at verse 14. This day, it shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it throughout your generations as a statute. How long? Forever. Verse 17. Observe this day throughout your generations. What? Forever. Skip down to verse 24. It says, observe this right for your sons, for your children, and your children's children forever. Over and over, it was to be memorialized, all the generations of Israel. But Israel wasn't just to go through it like some mental exercise. This wasn't just like, hey, it's like the 40th anniversary of the church, and you're going to get you know, a free cup, and you're going to get a, a booklet, and there's going to be a slideshow or whatever it's going to happen. We're going to have a big meal. No, that's not it. Here, they were to reenact almost what happened that night. Israel is to take a lamb. You notice that in verse 8. They're to roast it over the fire. Now, don't boil it, it says. Why, why, why Why not boil it? Because boiling water takes too long. Roast it. Start the fire and roast it. They're to eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why? Because they're to do everything in haste, it says there. They don't put leaven in the bread and wait for it to rise and then eat it. They're not going to cook their herbs or their vegetables. Because it takes too long to boil it and and, and make it finally 
tasty. Just eat it raw, bitter, because you're on the go. I think this right here, what we have in chapter 12, is the, the biblical precedence for fast food. It says, we're going, we're heading out. Robes are tucked into our belts, sandals on our feet, walking staff, because what? It's go time. It's go time. The running shoes are on. The car has started. We're going to go to the drive-thru, get our happy meals. We're ready to go. Why? Because in faith, they believe they're about to leave. We probably don't think much about that, about what faith must have been present on this first Passover to believe that what Moses said was actually going to happen. But think about it. Egypt was their home for 400 years. That's longer than this nation has been alive or has started. I mean, this would be like you came over on the Mayflower and you've been here ever since. That's how long it would have been. And for Hebrews in Egypt, they were slaves. It was miserable, but, but it was home. And yet it's and it could, because it was all they ever, had ever known. And yet they, in faith, are ready to go and trust the promises of God. And this is a really remarkable turnaround for the people of God. Because not too long ago, they were ready to, to just kick out Moses and Aaron. But verse 28 says, they did as the Lord commanded. Now this memorial is Pesach in Hebrew. It can be translated in any number of ways, but we translate it, most people translate it as Passover because God says, I will pass over you. And this is where we start inching closer to the heart of this memorial. What God was about to do to the Egyptians in this 10th plague was probably no surprise. But what may seem surprising is the way he treats Israel. Now imagine yourself an Israelite. You're listening to Moses. He starts giving some instructions about the Passover, and you're like, okay, okay, got it, Moses. You know, lamb, meal, clothes, got it, ready to go. But then Moses says, verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you. And you're like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, Moses, wait a minute here. I know that God is the God of the plagues, but we have been exempt from the previous plagues. God has made a distinction between us and the Egyptians. Remember when the hail came? None of it came to Goshen. But Moses reiterates this in verse 23. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And this destroyer is most likely the angel of the Lord. It's not coming just for the Egyptians, in other words. The destroyer is no respecter of persons. The previous plague had left them unscathed. So it would have been easy to perhaps think, I'm an Israelite. I'm okay. You know, I live in Goshen. You know, I believe in Yahweh. I'm safe. But here's a part of what the Israelites Israelites were never to forget that they were as guilty as the Egyptians. They were not to forget that they too deserved death that evening, the judgment of God. No one is safe. No one escapes. Israel, guilty of unbelief, of idolatry. 
Israel, sinners by nature like the rest of mankind. Israel, like the rest of humanity, accountable to a perfectly holy and just God. The Passover reminds Israel, if you're to meet judgment tonight, you will be lost. You're no better than the Egyptians. You know, here's, here's what it comes to in the final spiritual analysis, the morally ethic, ethical the, the biblically righteous, the doctrinally proper. You try to meet judgment on your own by your race or your pedigree or your beliefs and your doctrine. Well, none of that will help you. You'll be lost as the Egyptians. And there's only one way that you can face this destroyer. There's only one way that you can face this judgment. And what is it? A lamb. <laughs> you might think, a lamb? A lamby lamb? Like fluffy and muffy lamb? That's going to save me from the angel of the Lord? This meekest, mildest creature is going to save me from judgment? This f- and God says, yes. The only way you can face it is to kill the lamb, eat it with your family, and put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. That, that horizontal part of the top of the door. Here then is the heart of Passover. Israel needs their sins forgiven. They need to be saved from the destroyer. They had a plague that would fall on them unless they had a sacrifice. A costly lamb. A full-grown lamb. A male without blemish. Something valuable. And as the tenth plague comes, what is their only hope? that there was a substitute. Listen, in every house that night, there was either a dead firstborn or a dead lamb. One or the other. In other words, the lamb got what the firstborn deserved. The lamb was a substitute, so the firstborn didn't have to pay the debt of the family. Ever since the beginning of history, there has been a need of a sacrificial substitute. In the garden with Adam and Eve, God slaughtered an animal to cover their skin. In Genesis 22, you have Abraham and, and, and Isaac is to be sacrificed until at the last minute he finds in the thicket a suitable animal to take his place. In Exodus, what we see th- this morning is that we, we see that each family would sacrifice a lamb. In Leviticus 16, later on in the Pentateuch, on the Day of Atonement, that Once a year, there would be a lamb sacrificed to provide for the nation. So you have a lamb for a man in Genesis 22. A lamb for a family in Exodus 12. A lamb for a nation in Leviticus 16. And then finally, in John 1, John the Baptist says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb is sufficient for people everywhere. This one blood is enough for every sinner who will repent. And so don't you see that you need a substitute? I need a substitute. There is no salvation without substitution. And friends, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 
in 1 Peter 1.18, you were ransomed or you can be saved, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, all of us are due death as God's sentence against our sins. Death is not simply a brute fact about life, of nature. It is not simply a universal misfortune. Death is God's just sentence against us because of our sin. But God is rich in mercy. Just as he chose Israel to become his people, so he freely chose people from all nations to be his people. Just as he appointed a lamb for each household of Israel, so he has appointed Christ to be the one perfect Passover lamb to be sanctified, to be sacrificed for his entire household and throughout history. In his death on the cross, Christ bore the sentence of death that we deserve so that if we are covered by his blood, we would receive God's fellowship, favor, permanent inheritance, and Christ rose from the dead to both gain and give us that inheritance. And now God calls people everywhere to trust in Christ, to trust in that slain and resurrected lamb. The God who gave Pharaoh chance after chance to repent is now calling you to repent. If you've never trusted in Christ to save you, trust in him today. One author puts it this way. Israel sacrificed the Passover lamb so as not to have to sacrifice their firstborn sons. God, who is rich in mercy, sacrificed both. Church, we are to take great care in remembering our salvation. It is why Jesus, the night when he was betrayed, celebrated the Passover meal. In Luke 22, he's with his disciples and he reconstitutes the Passover he, he, he basically says this is the true meaning of Passover right now. He says, you see this bread that is in front of you. This is my body broken for you. So you're doing this in remembrance of me, of the time of what I will do to free you and give you ultimate freedom, not from enslavement, but from sin and death itself. He takes the wine and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then all the elements are there at the Passover meal. You have the bread, you have the wine. But where's the lamb? There's no lamb mentioned. What's Passover without a lamb? And you know why there's no lamb? Because the lamb was at the table. Jesus says, I'm the lamb. My death is a central event to everything in history. It's what history has all been leading up to. Tonight, I'm giving you that ultimate salvation. And so Jesus commands his church to take communion and to do so in remembrance of him. We are to always actually be remembering the magnitude of our salvation, the depths by which we were saved. And we are to remember the means of our salvation, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And why must we do this? Why must we remind ourselves of our salvation over and over again? Why do we always say you never grow beyond the gospel? Why do we say that? Because wonder wears off. Amazement fades. Faith leaks. We can start forgetting the truths we've been taught. We can start taking salvation for granted. We can suffer from this strange spiritual amnesia, forgetting God's grace and faithfulness, whether it's in times of sorrow or even in times of prosperity. 
maybe perhaps especially in times of prosperity. As Christians, oftentimes our ears itch to hear something new. We come on Sunday mornings and we want something new. Teach me something new, pastor. But maybe, perhaps, most of the time what we need to hear is the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We must never forget our history. We must never forget the sinful shambles of our life, of our previous life. That our affections may rise and give all praise and honor and glory to the one who redeemed us, namely our Lord Jesus Christ. Take time to remember and see if you will continue to savor our Savior. Remember your salvation. Second, remember your sanctification. Remember your sanctification. This is what we see in verses 14 through 20. Not only are you to remember your salvation, but you have to remember your sanctification. Because, you see, you're not just saved from something, but to something. We've been rescued, delivered, set free, and we have hints here in Exodus 12, what we will see in the rest of Exodus and the rest of the Pentateuch, that God saves his people for worship and holiness. We are, in other words, saved to be sanctified. We see this in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread comes on the heels of the Passover. So 14th day comes, you slaughter the lamb, and then for the next seven days, the only bread you eat is unleavened bread, non-fluffy bread. Most of us know what leaven is. It's, it's yeast used to make bread rise. It makes, it, <laughs> makes bread enjoyable. Uh, some of us during the past couple years, have learned or experimented with this art of sourdough bread making. That seems to have been like a, a phase. It seems to have been over also. But I don't really know how it happens. Something about flour and salt, and you kind of mix it all together with water or something. But the magic is the starter. The starter is this wild yeast that you need to like feed it beforehand before you put it into the bread. It's kind of strange, but there it is, the starter, the yeast. But here in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God says, I don't want any of that. No starter, no yeast, no packets of yeast in your home, no possible contaminant, because there's a severe penalty. In verse 19, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Now, what does that mean to be cut off? There's some questions to that, but I think the traditional answer is the right one. The cut off refers to some type of ostracism or banishment. Verse 15 says that you will be cut off from Israel. Exodus 30, the phrase is again used of cut off from the people. Now, there are over a dozen instances of, of, throughout the first five books of, the, uh, of our Bibles that tells us about this penalty of being cut off. And the reasons to be cut off are many, like violating the Sabbath or forbidden sexual practices or child sacrifice or defiant, intentional sin. And now you come to this part, and you see you'll be cut off for having starter in your home. And you're like, what? what is, what's such, why is it such a big deal? Well, as we've seen, unleavened bread reminded the Israelites of their hasty departure. But getting rid of the yeast had another purpose. The unleavened bread also symbolized a sharp break from the life they had known. They were quite literally sweeping the house clean 
from any remembrance or influence from Egypt. You see, yeast is essentially this scrap of dough left over from the previous loaf. Anytime you want bread, you take a little bit, piece of that old, lo- old lump and put it together with your new dough and voila, you have bread. And this annual removal of leaven from the house was a reminder that they had left behind the life in Egypt. They were to get rid of whatever old lump from their days in Egypt. Phil Reichen writes, God wanted to do something more than get his people out of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of his people. Yeast represented the corrupting power of sin, especially the evils of, of, of Egypt and idolatry. Uh, we, we know later on in Joshua chapter 24 that it says that, that the people of Israel worshipped the idols of Egypt and that they were to put them away because Israel had begun to adopt some of the Egyptian ways and their customs and their gods and goddesses. And God is saying, I'm setting you free. Free! So don't go back. You know, it's a, it's a non-starter to have starter, Right? Make a clean sweep from your old ways. You're not a slave anymore. You are free. Free to be who you're meant to be. My sons and daughters. Free to worship me. That's what God says. Free to be my people. And so in the rest of the Bible, we see this connection between Passover and repentance all the time. Uh, in Hezekiah's day, in Second in Chronicles, Israel is called to consecrate themselves. And then they clean everything away and then sweep the temples. And what happens? They have and celebrate the Passover. In King Josiah's day, he tears down all the false gods. He finds the book of the law. And what happens? They reinstitute the Passover. Even in the time of Ezra, as the exiles come back, the temple is finished. And what do they do when they finish the temple? They celebrate what? The Passover. It's a new, clean break. That's why Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul gives us a divinely inspired commentary of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Turn there with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 5, had apparently been tolerant of sin, even boasting about their tolerance. And so, in verse 6, he says this, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, do you not know that a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened? For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here is the divinely inspired commentary on the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You want to know what it means to you? You have a Passover lamb, Christ. He died to set you free to sweep your house clean from leaven, to get rid of the old lump of your, in your life. Why are you still holding on to it? Why are you dallying in sin at all and being tolerant of this old leaven of malice and evil? Because it will only be spread. So be unleavened people. This is why God has a zero tolerance policy when it comes to sin. 
church, if you think some sins can be tolerated, you misunderstand the whole meaning of salvation. To be at peace with your sin is to be at war with God. God delivered us from our bondage that we would make a clean sweep of it. Beloved, is there a sin you have decided to tolerate? You think, ah, it's not a big deal. Maybe it's a relationship that you shouldn't be in. Maybe it's that television show that you've somehow convinced yourself you should watch because it's really good plot, it's really good cinematography, great acting. And you've convinced yourself that the skin that you see, the sensuality, and what it does to arouse you is not a really big deal. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, lists several sins we tolerate. Anxiety, worry, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, self-righteousness, envy, gossip. I dare say in a church like ours, it's not high-handed sins. That is our issue. It's these respectable sins that we allow to linger. Let me pause here, church, and let me share with you a little bit from my heart. And I preface, I preface what I'm about to say by saying that I'm encouraged by you. I love you. Uh, whenever I speak to other pastors about this church and about Redeemer, I have nothing but good things to report. And you know you're in trouble when the pastor starts off this way, but... What I'm about to say is truly a gentle entreaty, not to shame you. I'm not trying to humiliate you. But frankly speaking, there are some of you in this church who nurse private grudges. You just got beef with people. There's this thin thread of divisiveness and contentiousness, making assumptions in others. Perhaps you've been hurt by another person's words or actions or simply they just rub you the wrong way. But you've kept a smidgen of bitterness against them. So you grumble. You keep your distance from them, this brother and sister in Christ. There might even be a germ of envy and you think to yourself, you know, this person, I'll just tolerate them. I'll endure them but you don't endure in love. You don't delight in them or protect their reputation. You don't love them and seek their highest good, even at great cost to yourself. You think you can just sweep things under the rug when God says, sweep it out. Church, there is danger down this path because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is not who we are as a family of God. Redeemer, remember who you are. Remember the loveliness of your salvation. Remember God's patience and kindness towards you in Christ. Remember Christ and his condescension, his humility to redeem your life from the pit. Remember that you were given the spirit of God 
the Spirit dwells within you, that you might display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. So sweep out what Paul says in Galatians, where he also mentions this leaven. He says, sweep out strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, because those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, church, that you are saved to be sanctified. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. And what a pivotal passage it is in all of Scripture to understand the Passover. And what a pointer it is, a pointer ahead, a sign that we all need the Lamb of God. That we need a final Lamb, a Lamb, a perfect Lamb who can take away the sins of this world. And so, Father, we pray that we would lose ourselves in that wonder when we remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sins like the rest of mankind. But in your love, in your patience, in your kindness, you sacrificed your son that we might have new life, that we might be unleavened, a new creation. So may you receive, may Christ receive all glory, praise, and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.